So as Liz said, we just kept, I'm, I've got the pleasure and the privilege of finishing our, our series that we've been doing uh, called Storytime. Uh, and Dan last week shared a little bit of his kind of, his personal story, and I get to do that this week. So, um, so strap in. But I will, just before we get going, I just want to encourage you, tonight we're kind of like, even though this is the official finish of story time in terms of on a Sunday morning, uh, we're having, on Sunday Night Church, we're having uh, some testimonies tonight from people that you don't normally hear from, which I think is going to be cool. Uh, so I'd encourage you to come along to that. Um, and we're going to take communion tonight together as a church as well. So if you are free at 5.30 tonight, I will encourage you to be here because it will be a great night. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. So just, I guess I better give you some context. Most of you will know who I am. But I think it's hard to give a testimony without you knowing like, a lot about me. So I'm going to give you a very uh, whistle-stop tour of the 35 years that I've been on this planet. 35. <laughs> 25. I was 35 last week, actually. Um, but uh, yeah, I know I don't look it, but I am also an elder of this church. So the gray hair comes with the role. Um, <laughs> So I'm just waiting for Dave's to kick in, to be honest. It's a bit annoying that he hasn't got any grey hair just yet as he walks through the door. Hi, Dave. <laughs> so I've, 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 I've given you away my age. I was born in 1984 uh, in Leeds. I'm a Leeds lad, Yorkshire boy, and I lived there until I was 10, and my family moved over to Preston, uh, in 1994, because my dad was a journalist and he worked at Lancashire Evening Post, uh, and we, uh, we settled in Preston, and up until four or five years ago, our whole family lived in Preston, and then my mum and dad retired and they went back to Leeds. My brother decided he didn't want to be in Preston anymore and decided to, live, to move to Gibraltar. Uh, there was other reasons. Uh, but yeah, he, he's, he now lives in Gibraltar, and my sister... Uh, decided that she was going to move to Cheltenham. So, uh, yeah, so basically, I'm the only Hamilton left in Preston uh, today. So, uh, I, was, uh, I, was, I was brought up not in a Christian family. Uh, my parents don't go to church. I don't spend uh, a lot of time here. Uh, sorry. I don't spend a lot of time in church. My parents didn't spend a lot of time in church growing up. I didn't spend a lot of time in church growing up. Uh, but one of my best mates, a guy called Dan, which is another Dan to all the, guy, all the Dans in this church, uh, just to add to it, um, he, he went to church. And he constantly asked me to come to, the, to a youth ministry. It was what their equivalent of Anthem was at the time. Uh, and, yeah, we basically... Uh, just persevered with me and kept asking me and kept asking me and asking me. And when I was 14, I decided I was going to go to their youth church at the time, the youth church and the youth service. Um, and I kind of just was one of those 14-year-old kids that just asked a lot of questions. I was just intrigued about what was going on. Uh, I just, just wanted to know a little bit more. I didn't necessarily believe in God at that time. Uh, but I thought, do you know what, I'm going to... I'm just going to keep going. And then, very weirdly, 20 years ago, pretty much to uh, almost to the day, uh, I became a Christian on a, on a youth weekend away. Uh, and rather bizarrely, 
my, my new mate Dan, our pastor Dan, was invited to speak on that youth weekend away, virtually the same weekend 20 years on. Uh, so he was four when I became a Christian. Uh, so I thought it was a bit weird then going back to Escape, which was, which was the youth weekend away that I became a Christian on 20 years ago. I went back last, a couple of weekends ago, to listen to Dan, you know, to Dan speak, which was really cool. Uh, but you know, when I, on that youth weekend away, something just clicked. I realized, ah, I know who Jesus is, and I know who, who I am in comparison to Jesus, and I need Jesus. Uh, and I certainly didn't have it all figured out at that time. Uh, it was a bit of a steep learning curve because I kind of felt surrounded by mates who had been in Sunday school and kids' church all their life, and they knew their Bible because of that. Um, but, uh, you know, so I, I had to kind of do a lot of kind of like self-discipleship and work out where I was and, and ask a lot of annoying questions. Um, and that was probably from about the age of 14 to the age of 20. Um, I was that typical person at the age of 18 where I was like, I don't want to go to university just yet. I'm going to take a gap year. And I went traveling and I went to Australia, as most people do. And I went to Southeast Asia and... Just as a little side note, this isn't a main point of, my, of, of the message this morning, but, you know, if you're a young person, you're thinking, do you know what, I want to get out and see the world, you should do it. If you're an older person who's thinking, I wish I could see the world, just go. Because, honestly, that, even though I was 18 and at the time, I was just like, I was doing it because it was going to be a bit of fun and uh, it was what everyone else seemed to be doing, I went on my own. Uh, I met some cool people that I'm still in touch with now. Um, but actually, that year kind of defined me a little bit. You know, it got me out of the little bubble that I lived in. It got me out of the church that I was going to at the time. Uh, but only for six months, and then I came back in. But I came back in a different person. So if you're a young person who's going, do you know what, I, I kind of always wanted to see a little bit more of the world, then I encourage you to do it. Uh, but I... Came back from traveling, I went to University of Manchester, I moved to Manchester, I studied geography, which I've later found out is the second most useless degree anyone could ever have. Uh, apparently the, the chances of getting a job after getting a geography degree are significantly lower, only to be beaten by getting a sports science degree. Um, so if you, if you, again, if your kids are talking about doing geography and doing a sports science degree, uh, have a word of them. Um, but whilst I was at uni, I started dating my first uh, and probably my only serious girlfriend that I've had, uh, and that was when I was when I turned 20, and I graduated and started weirdly uh, a career in marketing. And it's, you might be wondering, how do you go from geography to marketing? No idea. I was very lucky, I was quite fortunate, I made some good contacts whilst I was at uni and uh, whilst I was uh, you know, doing some kind of work experience. So I ended up starting a career in marketing. You know, 14, 15 years later, I still don't really know whether I want to be in marketing, uh, but I kind of am. Uh, so right now I work for a marketing agency, I'm the operations director of a marketing agency in Manchester and I've been there for eight years uh, and I actually love it. You know, and well, the cool thing is about my job now is I do less marketing and more people management, uh, which I, I, I enjoy doing and I love doing and I love getting alongside people. Um, so I really, really enjoy it. 
Now, most of you that will have heard me preach before will most, will most likely have heard some of the things that I'm going to share this morning. I'm not clever enough of a person uh, to, uh, you know, to go into the Bible and to really study it. God has to teach me stuff whilst I'm going through that stuff. So when I preach, I teach what I have been taught, not necessarily clever enough to go in and uh, and look at something that I'm not going through myself. So there is some of these stories you may have heard before if you've heard me preach over the last couple of years. Um, but I just, I just want to kind of look at four key areas. Now, if I was writing a book, I might call these chapters. Uh, but they're really chapters of the last kind of five years of my life. They're nothing, nothing beyond, uh, or nothing in my 20s, basically, is what I'm saying. Now, I've learned all these lessons in my 30s. Uh, but my first point uh, is that I needed to upgrade my anchor. Now, hopefully this will become clear as I go through, is that I needed to upgrade my anchor. I came to this church five years ago. And uh, as I said before, I had, I've had one serious relationship in my life. That serious relationship lasted for ten years. Uh, and it came to an end five years ago. And we were going to church together at the time. And... Obviously, it would have been super awkward if we carried on going to uh, the same church at the time. So I thought, Do you know what, I'm going to move to Manchester. I loved Manchester when I was at uni. I still work, I've worked in Manchester all my life, all my career. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to move to Manchester. But as a bit of a stopgap, I came to this church because I needed a few months just to, just to get over myself uh, and just to get my head right. Uh, I knew a few people here, so I thought I'd start. I thought I'd start coming here. So it was. It was purely supposed to be a bit of a stopgap. I was going to be here for six months, and then I was gone. Um, and sometimes you can hear you hear preachers preach, and I think I've probably preached this message: is that God has to take you out of your your comfortable situation to to enable you to grow to actually bring you back onto the plan and the purpose and, and, and the plan that he has for your life. And this is an example of how this has happened uh, in my life. Like, this is exactly how this played out. I was super comfortable in that relationship. It had everything that I needed. I was dead happy with it. Um, and when it came to an end, I didn't, know how to, I didn't know how to handle that. But actually, looking back on that situation now... I can see exactly what God was doing. And it's not easy at the time to say that because you, you're hurting, because you have pain. But looking back five years ago, I can go, I know exactly what God was doing. I know that there was a bigger picture to what God had for my, for my life. And very strangely, I look back at that time now and I'm thankful for that time. So he definitely had his hand over my life and over my situation at that time. And if I'm totally honest, it didn't feel like it. It didn't feel like, uh, it didn't feel like God had any sort of plan for my life. Because the plan that I thought had just completely disintegrated in front of me. I was just about to turn 30. The person that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with... I was no longer speaking to. I was in a church that I had never been to before. Uh, I wasn't sure where I was living. And suddenly that, that kind of like, that kind of challenged me a little bit. And 
as I realized going, you know, going forward, it takes you a while to get over the pain of, of uh, a relationship. And I know there's people in this room that have, have gone through uh, worse things than I have as well. But, you know, it took me two or three years to really get to the point where I, I kind of could, could process it. And I still, after two or three years, I still didn't really understand why I was feeling the way that I did. I still felt hurt. I, I still felt hurt. I didn't want to feel hurt. I didn't want it to be feel painful. But I still did, but I really struggled to move on. I really struggled to move on, even two or three years later. And I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand why I was not able to go, do you know what? Come on, Pat, that's five, that's like three, four years ago. Like, that shouldn't still be affecting your life. But it was. So after a couple of years, I decided I needed to see a counsellor. And I started unpacking all of this stuff. And I thought I was going to see a counsellor because that relationship ended. I wasn't. That, well, the relationship ending was a symptom of what actually I had to deal with, not the actual problem. And what it did, it was highlighted the fact that my identity was more in that relationship than it was in Jesus. So when everything fell apart, my identity fell apart. I started to question my identity a little bit. And again, I didn't see this at the time. But after unpacking it, I realized that actually the relationship breakup was not the thing that I needed to worry about. My relationship, the, the thing that I needed to worry about was how I viewed myself, was my identity. And what I've learned is actually our identity can be our anchor. What we identify ourselves with and who we identify ourselves with can be our anchor. So actually when the storms hit and the problems you know, come along because they will come along, your anchor gets tested. And my anchor was obliterated in that time. In fact, I didn't have one. And what I've realized is someone that has a healthy identity, has healthy self-esteem, uh, has a healthy identity, has five things. They feel loved. They have a purpose. They have security. They have significance. And they feel like they belong. And I could answer, truthfully, five years ago, I found all of them in that relationship. So when that relationship disappeared, I was, I was nowhere. And the thing is, you can find answers to, you can be loved. You can find purpose in other things. You can find significance and security, and you can find belonging. Whether you're a new Christian or whether you're an old Christian, you know, whether, whether you're a young person or an old person, these are the fundamentals of life. Everyone wants to feel loved. Everyone wants to feel secure. Everyone wants to have a purpose. Everyone wants security. And everyone wants to feel like they belong somewhere. But God knew that, right? You know, God knew that before he created us. That's why 
God created. That's why God sent Jesus. That's why God gave us each other, our church community, our church body. You know, the answer to those, those questions and those desires in my life, I realized I needed to shift. I needed to change my perspective. I needed to look at my relationship with Jesus first. I needed to find an anchor in Jesus that actually when the storms did hit, and I didn't realize so quickly after having dealt with all of this how quickly a storm, another storm would hit. And actually, again, looking back at what God was doing in that time, he... He knew exactly what he was doing because he prepared me for a season that I was about to go into, which is actually harder than the season that I just dealt with. And thankfully, God gives you lots of opportunities to learn those lessons. You know, if you miss it the first time, he'll give you a second opportunity. So learn it the first time because you will go through the pain again. I'm, I'm not joking. It is funny, but I'm not joking because I learned it twice. That is not nice. So my first point is that I had to upgrade my anchor. I had to take the anchor that I had of myself, how I viewed myself. I had to take it out of that relationship and put it into Jesus. And my second point, or the second chapter, which followed very closely after that, was uh, I had to embrace my cave time. Now, a couple of, about a year and a half ago, 18 months ago, we did a series in church that's looked at the life of David. And Dan, uh, as, he, uh, as he shared last week, kind of shared a story from, from the life of King David, and Liz has actually read one of his psalms this morning. Um, and Dan was kind of talking about the time when uh, David was anointed by Samuel to become the future king of Israel. Uh, and Dan kind of mentioned last week, then, well, sometimes we often forget this, that there was a period between David's anointing and David's uh, uh, coronation, as it were, to, to being a king of about 10 to 15 years. And in that time, David was made the armor bearer uh, for King Saul. He, was, he, he hung out in his courts. Uh, he was very close to Saul, but suddenly, over time, uh, Saul became very suspicious of David, very jealous of David, and started to threaten him. So David had to ended up having to go through, uh, go on the run, essentially. And in you know, 1 Samuel 24, uh, it kind of describes this time where David and his men were in these kind of caves. They were hiding in these caves, uh, and they were being chased by uh, King Saul and thousands of his men. Uh, and David just had to sit in these caves just to hide. And there was lots of psalms that are actually written at that time that show kind of David's anguish uh, and kind of frustration of the situation that he was in because he didn't understand that time of his life. He didn't understand why he had this, this anointing on his life, yet he was uh, hiding out in these caves. He was on the run from Saul. He was trying to escape uh, you know, the threat of death. And for me, this kind of highlighted the fact that you know, King David is one of the most powerful men in, in history, one of the greatest characters in the Bible, one of the greatest characters in the Bible. Uh, but, you know, he still went through this period of preparation. He still went through this period of pain uh, and frustration with his situation. And for me, it kind of demonstrates that this doesn't, 
as Christians, we kind of always want these mountaintop experiences all the time. We always want our life to be fantastic, but the reality is it isn't always going to be. The reality is there's going to be times in your life that you're going to have to have a good anchor. There's going to be a storm in your life where you're going to need to make sure that your grounding and your foundation and your anchor is solid. So thankfully for me, I'd just gone through a period uh, of, of realizing that I needed to upgrade my anchor, and I upgraded my anchor. Then I went into another storm or another season of my life, which I entitled Church Leadership. And that anchor has definitely been tested in these last couple of years. It's definitely been uh, an essential part of my spiritual growth. And, and I will say that this has been part of my cave time. These last couple of years since we've not had a pastor, in between our last pastor and appointing Dan, has been a tough time for me. And it's been what I would consider my cave time. And... I take a little bit of heart in this, though, because looking at some of the characters in the Bible, Joseph had prison, Moses had the desert, Daniel had his den, Paul was in prison, even Jesus spent a lot of time in the wilderness. So I think if Jesus had cave time, I think I accept that I've got a bit of cave time to do in my life as well. So I don't think it's going to be an option for you either. And for me, the cave is where your metal gets tested. It's where your maturity gets revealed. It's where your character gets exposed. And I think if you were to chuck someone into a cave of despair or distress or disappointment, I think you get to see who they are. And we know that David didn't love the cave. In Psalm 142, it says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. You know, David was frustrated uh, with his period of his life. You know, that psalm was, was written at that time, was written whilst David was in those caves. And he was frustrated but as Liz said this morning, what he desired was the presence of God. What he shouted to was God. But actually, it turned out that that was probably one of the most fruitful times in David's life. You know, God was preparing him with the skills and the experience to go on to lead a nation. You know, it's hard to lead a nation without that, you know, that life experience, without having to deal with those situations. And for me, that's, that's exactly how it felt for me as well. I had to learn very quickly that if I was complaining to anyone but God about that situation, I was missing the point because God was the only, thing that could, the only one that could do anything about my situation. So the thing is about church leadership is that more often than not, it happens behind closed doors. It happens, and not many people can see it. Not, pe not many people know what you're going through, and you can't talk about it. Um, and as most of you will know, 
uh, we the, the the previous pastor uh, resigned from the church about two years ago, and we appointed Dan a couple of months ago. So there's been a period of about two years where we haven't had a pastor, and even the year previous to the the previous pastor uh, resigning was was a tough part of my life, and it's where I think my character got exposed, and my uh, my anchor was tested. And bearing in mind, this is, from a timeline point of view, this is essentially, uh, you know, think of me upgrading my anchor than the next day having to, t- having to use it. It was, more along, it was more along those lines. But what I would say in all, that, in all those situations, most of you will know what I'm, what I'm talking about, but... Um, in that time and in that season of my life, I was completely helpless. I, I wouldn't know how to solve it. Those of you that have worked with me know that I like to be in control, know that I like to have a plan, know that I like to be able to be a couple of steps ahead so I can, I can know what's coming down the line. In that season of my life, in the transition from the previous pastor um, into, into, uh, into Dan was, was tough. And it came to the point where I was completely helpless. I could not see a way out of the situation. In fact, as we got more and more into the situation, it got more and more complicated. And things just got more and more messy and more and more entangled, and I could not see a way out of it. But all I had to do at that time, all I could do at that time, was to, was to give it to God, was to cry to God and just say, I need you to help. I need you to come through. I remember praying that, that prayer numerous times in that situation. I don't know what to do. I need you to come through. And the morning, probably the pivotal meeting of that particular period, I drove back from that meeting going, I'm going to quit. I've, got, I've had enough. I don't know how to get out of this. And I got a phone call half an hour after I got home. It was from a guy uh, who's an elder of another church that I hadn't spoken to for three years. And he just said, Pat, you've been on my heart and I don't know why, but the Holy Spirit just told me to ring you just to check you're okay. And obviously I burst into tears. And we went out for coffee that week. And... There's probably about five or six stories like that in that time that I just went, do you know what? God just had it. But that's because he was my anchor. That's because he was teaching me something in that situation. But it, wasn't, it was because I was going to him about it. I wasn't going to somewhere else. I was totally helpless in that situation. I was in that cave, what felt like all, all on my own, without a way out of it. And that very morning, I was just like, do you know what? I'm going to walk out with the white flag and I'm done. And I think God genuinely knew that. But thankfully that that mate who I went out for coffee with and I haven't spoken to since, but he just did what he felt that God called him to do. And that was enough to convict me that I needed to finish what God asked me to start. And that situation, God worked out the the loose ends. He worked out everything beyond how I could even imagine he would. And he has brought us to a place now as a church where I think we've been 
we have been more united and more stronger than we've ever been before, certainly in the five years that I've been here. So what I'm saying is that it's actually in the hidden parts of your life. It's actually in the cave where God can sharpen us, where God can develop us, where God can make us stronger. See, you've got to talk to him. You've got to cry out to him. You've got to be patient because he does really good work in caves. He does great work in caves. And I said this when I preached this a few, 18 months ago. But if you doubt that, just think of the, the cave on the outskirts of Jerusalem that there was a, for three days there was a crucified body of Jesus. But God does great works in caves. The best of, being, the best of which being the resurrection of Jesus. You know, that's the power that we can call on when we're going through our storms, when we're in our caves. The third point and the third chapter I would say is assembling my team. And I don't mean this in an arrogant way. I just mean assembling people that are going to be there for you, that are going to pray for you, that are going to challenge you, you're going to work with. When I came to this church, I think there's only probably one person in this room that might be able to back me up on this. Uh, but Dave knew me before I came to this church. And I think he would probably agree that I wasn't really a people person before I came here. Uh, he's smiling and nodding, so I'm guessing he's, uh, I'm guessing he's agreeing. In fact, I didn't really see the benefit of life groups. I didn't really want to hang out with people that I didn't, I didn't want to overshare about too much of my life. I was kind of all right being on my own. I was all right in my relationship because my girlfriend knew everything that was going on in my life, and that was kind of okay. Uh, I didn't have friends that I say challenged me and worked alongside me uh, and pulled me up on things. I had mates, don't get me wrong, but they were a different type of friend. And uh, I heard a preacher quote an old Zambian proverb, uh, which really resonated with me. And the, the Zambian proverb says something along the lines of this. When you run on your, on your own, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. And I realized uh, when I came to this church that this church's best asset is his people. I fell in love with a lot of people here, not romantically, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, God proper changed me almost instantly when I came to this church. He put a few people on my heart that I was just like, okay, I've got a role to play in their life. Some people I don't know even five years later, what my role is in their life. Other people, it's very obvious. But I say this a lot, and I'm going to say it again. We do need other people to walk with. And, you know, I, I think a healthy Christian is someone that comes to church and worships corporately, collectively, in a, in a larger group. But also, you know, we have small group fellowship. And I think if you come to this church and you only come on a, on a Sunday morning, you're missing 50% of what we do. Um, so I've been convicted and changed about my view of life groups and doing life with people as opposed to life on your own. You know, secondly, I feel like, you know, we do need 
others to work with as well. It says in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 10, that God made us to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. You know, I do believe that everyone has a role to play. You know, you're put on this earth to do something that only you can do. Um, But he also didn't mean you to do that alone. He's put us in community. He's put us in, um, in this particular church. And I think if you don't have that, someone or some people to work with you, to run alongside you, to, to help you, you'll end up just burning out. You'll end up just being fatigued. And again, that's a, a separate part of my life that I can talk about. And I think, weirdly, I might be talking about rest in the new year, which is very ironic. But, um, you know, I'm having to learn that as well, like having to share the load with people, having to have people that, that run alongside you that don't... Uh, you know, they don't run as fast as you. And that Zambian proverb is always ringing in my head, like, we'll go further if we go together. And finally, having people that will watch out for me. It says in Philippians 2, watch out for one, other, one another's interest, not just your own. And I always think that's so countercultural to, to our society, isn't it? Look out for other, others' interests, not just your own. And thankfully, I have people in my life that pull me up on stuff. I have people in my life that I can text, uh, can you just pray for me? You know, I kind of have like what I call my little prayer warriors uh, that I just send, a, drop a little text to and just say, look, I'm struggling with this, can you pray for me? You know, I have people that, I, uh, that just want to cook me tea because uh, they know that I'm struggling and they know that if they didn't, I would probably get a takeaway and be very unhealthy. Um, but that I've, been, I've been deliberate about that. You know, I've, I've deliberately formed a team around me uh, that will help me, that will walk out for me, that I'll work with and I'll walk with, but they'll call me out. And I've never had mates like that before. Even my mates that I had prior to coming to this church have become mates that now call me out on stuff. That you know, we cry together, we laugh together, like, we, sh- we share life together, we don't just, you know, meet up for a curry once a month. And I'm kind of conscious that I'm running out of time, uh, but my last point is that God never intended us to do mission on our own. He, he intended us to do it as a community and as a church. So, you know, when it comes to life groups, when it comes to having people around you, I'd encourage you to question who's in your inner circle. Who is it the people that you can turn to when you need support? Who's going to be in your life to pick you up or to call you out on something that you trust? And if you, ha- if you don't have those, be- those people, I suggest that you start thinking about who they, might, who they might be. And the last point I want to make is... Uh, I only preached this message a few months ago and it was, uh, it was around being, being vulnerable. And so my fourth point is I've had to learn to become vulnerable. Um, if I'm brutally honest with you, I always thought in a guy, vulnerability was a weakness. It's a massive sign of weakness. If you to show your emotion or to show any signs of not being able to handle anything as a guy, you're not a guy. And again, God had to teach me that lesson in a very hard way. 
around three years ago, I think someone prayed this verse over me. Uh, and it really resonated. It's from 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 13 and 14. Now, most of you will know what this is, but it says, Be on your guard, stand firm in faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Do you know sometimes when you highlight verses in your Bible, I think five years ago I'd have highlighted the first part of that, which would have been, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. I probably wouldn't have highlighted, but do everything in love. As a guy, I'd be like, yeah, I can resonate with standing firm and being resolute. But doing everything in love. In the message, it actually says it this way. Keep your eyes open, hold tight to your convictions, and give it all that you've got. Be resolute and love without stopping. And so, linked to my previous point, I've had to learn how to, to have loving relationships. I've had to learn how to... Uh, go a little bit deeper in relationships with people than I've ever done before. And as I shared a few months ago, I think the key to doing that is to be vulnerable and, and to be honest with each other. Because I think that, that makes and creates the foundation for, for loving relationships. Because we are, even going back to our identity, we are hardwired to have relationships. We all have emotions. We all have emotional needs. doesn't mean you're needy. It means you're a human. So I've had to learn that rather than pretend I don't have any kind of emotional needs, rather than pretending I don't uh, you know, everything's okay. I can handle everything. I can deal with everything. I've had to accept that I can't. I've had to accept that I need to open up to people. Apologies if I've ever opened up too much, but I don't really mind that. Because um, I think God has taught me, whilst been at this church, that you do have to if you want a genuine relationship, and if we want to be in genuine relationship with each other, we can't be surface level. How's your week? Yeah, it's fine. How's yours? Yeah, good. Anyway, how's your week? But that, could, but that is it, isn't it? Like we can, that can be how we go around and do life. But I dare you, next time someone asks you how your week was, I answer it honestly. Be open. Be honest. Try and be vulnerable. If the band wanna wanna jump up, I'm just gonna I'm gonna close in a moment. Um, but I want to share something. Like planning for today has been very weird for me. I uh, I do like to look back, but looking back on your pain and looking back on things that have hurt you in your life is hard for me to do, and I don't tend to do it that often. Uh, and I don't particularly like doing it, particularly the painful parts. But actually, in this time, I've really enjoyed doing it because you can actually see what God's done. You can see the bits that God's uh, worked at. And the only way that I could describe it is that five years on, I can see a slightly bigger picture than God showed me at the time. 
you know, relationship break on, the stuff going into church leadership. Uh, at the time, I was frustrated I was in that situation. At the time, I suffered health issues because of that. I suffered from stress and anxiety. I had to go on uh, beta blockers to keep my blood pressure down. Like, it wasn't the nicest time of my life, but I look back and go, oh, God was doing something in that time. There was a purpose to that. That wasn't just wasted time. That cave time was actually where God has started to define me and sharpen me and give me some purpose. You know, that verse that I read from 1 Corinthians is a bit of my kind of life verse. It's how I kind of see my role in this church. Uh, and God has really challenged me in that. And there's a song that we keep singing, and, and it, again, it's a song that really resonates with me. It's called New Wine. Uh, and one of the verses goes, in the crushing and in the pressing, you're making, old, you're making new wine. And I kind of felt like in the last five years, I've shredded a bit of my old skin. I've got rid of the old wine skins that were making the same old wine that was quite mediocre, was okay, but it wasn't the best. And actually, in the crushing, in the pain of the last few years, in the pressure of everything that I've been doing, God has made new wine. And God is still making new wine. So I feel like I'm coming out of this cave time a bit of a stronger person, a bit of a healthier person. And it's cool to recognize. And it's cool to celebrate. And you guys have got your role in that as well. So I want to thank you as a church, um, you know, for, for being there for me, for praying for me, for cooking for me, uh, for giving me books, for giving me encouragement. And I actually think that metaphor is a bigger metaphor for our church. In these last five years, it's been tough. There's been a bit of crushing, there's been a bit of pressing, but I think God's making something new. And I'm super excited about the future of this church. I'm super excited that God's called me to be part of that. Um, because if you've been in this church all your life, you might not realize this, but I've been in churches that are five times bigger than this, and they don't have the depth of talent and wisdom that this group of people have. You know, we're, in comparison, we're a small church. We've got disproportionately large number of talented, wise leaders and potential leaders that I think is incredible. And I'm super excited to see where God goes with that. I'm super excited to see what God does. Uh, and I think as, as a church, we just need to be open and, and catch the wave when God sends it. So I haven't really got a, a kind of a call to action this morning. I just wanted to share a little bit and I hope it's encouraging. If you want to stand to your feet, let's just pray. And we're going to go into the time of worship. Yeah, so Father, we just thank you that even when we can't see it, that you have a plan. Even when it's not obvious, you're working everything together for good. in the pressing and in the, in the crushing that you do make new wine so Father just help us to, to maybe recognise the times in our lives where we need to shed our old skin and we need to put you back at the centre of our life 
And Father, collectively as a church, I just pray that you will lead us, that you will guide us, that you will strengthen us, that you will keep us united. So when you speak, that we move. I just thank you, Father, for for what you're doing in this church. I just thank you for the talents and the wisdom that you've put amongst the leaders and the and the and the people here this morning. I just pray, Lord, that everyone knows that they they are here for a role and they get in the community to help them uh, to help them work that out, to help that work that through. So, Father, just pray that you'll. Uh, You'll be glorified this morning. Thank you for what you've been doing in my life. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. We just want to honor you and glorify, for, glorify you for that. Uh, we just pray this in your name. Amen.